Hey, good morning, guys. There's a, a Psalm, um, it's 46, it's a verse out of there I want to share with you. And uh, it, it's just good, all right? Here it is. Be still and know that I am God. My problem with that psalm is as soon as I say it, my mind rishes to like 25 other things. About half the staff, a couple elders and myself, we, uh, we just got back from a week, Mark alluded to it. Um, we spent a week together down at a, a monastery in Kentucky. And when I say monastery, that isn't like, like a metaphor for something. It's actually a functioning monastery with real monks um, in the medieval tradition. Um, and I'll tell you, you don't realize how unstill you are until you spend a week with monks. And so, so if like Mark is really zen today and I'm really chill today and it's just kind of you know, a little bit, just forgive us because we're still kind of transitioning off of this. Um, guys, I would just love to share the experience with you. What is it like to spend a week with monks? And... Um, what do you learn from something like that? And, and maybe hopefully you can learn something um, by extension from the experience we had. So uh, let me situate it. It's a monastery. It's located about an hour southeast of Louisville, Kentucky. It's tucked in about 1,600 acres of rolling Kentucky wilderness. And every direction you look, you see the Kentucky foothills, the mountains, surrounding you. It is a cell dead zone. I'm not talking two bars. I'm not talking one bars. I'm talking the dreaded X of death, right? You just don't get a signal there. And that might freak you out at first. It was amazing. You look up and the sky is black. Now, I live in Hebron. I'm used to black sky, but it's nothing like the sky there. There's no Wi-Fi. Well, there's hardly any Wi-Fi. If you know where to sit, like at the right time of day, you can pirate their office signal and kind of sneak in on it. But it's this information just kind of closed down, and there's about 50 men, give or take, who have taken monastic vows in the true medieval tradition of what you think and see when you see monks. So they live in like this thing that looks like Dracula's castle, um, fully with a cemetery out front that you have to walk through to get into where they are. They wear their habits, is what they call it. Um, in their case, it's, it's, it's a stylish one with a white robe and a black overcoat kind of thing. And it looks, it's, it's choice, man. It looks awesome. Um, they don't shave their head with the ring, but they do take vows of simplicity, vows of chastity. They practice silence as the norm, and hospitality rules their day. And they spend their days pursuing what they call the vocation of prayer. We all have vocations, don't we? A vocation, well, you can call it a job, but a vocation goes deeper than that. A vocation is the substance of, of who you are and what you're called to and what you occupy your day with. For many of us, it is our actual employment, but for some of us, that's a means to an end, to the greater thing that drives us. Maybe for you, it's a parent, a stay-at-home even. That's your vocation. For others of you, it might be the job you find yourself in or the calling that you surround it with, but for them, their vocation is prayer. They say prayer is powerful. 
prayer is effective. Prayer actually does something beyond make us feel good inside or give us cathartic release. They, they believe it accomplishes something and uh, they devote themselves to it, to a life of prayer and silence in simplicity. And are you sitting there listening to that right now going, my gosh, why did you go there? Does that just sound like horrible to you? Like who would sign up for this? Um, I got to tell you, there is a joy and a peace. But let me go back to the word, a joy that's actually there that goes beyond what most people would think this kind of experience would be. One of our staff members who went, her name is Shar Marchese. It was her first time experiencing it. And I always love to see like a first-timers at the monastery. What's this like? And she uh, graciously offered to share her experience at the seminary. So uh, at the seminary, monastery. Um, I'm going to hear it from her. Sure, just come on up. Um, I have to say, be still. And know that I am God is one of my favorite verses, but it's one I aspire to. Because to give you a little background about me, um, my brain is never quiet. I am always thinking. And I'm always multitasking. And um, I'm a worrier. So I worry whether I'm praying correctly. I worry because I don't think I read the Bible enough and I worry that I'm not doing it right. Um, I worry that I'm asking for something I shouldn't be. So my life is spent constantly in motion in my head. Um, and so coming to the monastery, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm gonna do this right, but I'm gonna give it a shot. I also don't do well with quiet. Um, I always have music playing in my house. I always have something going on because for me, quiet is loneliness. And as soon as I have quiet, I become sad and lonely. So to go where I'm not allowed to do these things or not or ask not to was like, oh, deep breath. <laughs> Um, and the first day that I got there, um, I was kind of nervous. And so we had our own room, um, and I walked into my room, and I brought my books on tape, and I brought my you know, music on my phone, and I brought my knitting, which sometimes calms me. And I sat in the room going, <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'll listen to music a little bit. And luckily, I had Ben Denon's baby lullabies on my phone, so I could listen to something quiet. And I struggled that whole day. I went to the prayer times and was like, okay, I don't know if I'm listening carefully enough. But by the time Tuesday morning rolled around, um, I started to feel calmer and I was able to focus in prayer time. And I was able to sit quietly and eat my breakfast and not have that feeling. Um, and by the time lunch rolled around, I was looking forward to sitting in my room, quiet and doing peaceful knitting and just being. And what I found was that I was no longer worrying about anything and I was actually talking to God, which I have never done in my life. I've always prayed the way you're supposed to. But by the time I walked out of those doors on Thursday, I was calm, I was peaceful, and I woke up Friday morning and a normal Friday morning for me is, Gosh, what do I need to get done for work today? Where are we going to go? Um, oh, I should be praying. I'm not going to. 
but I woke up with joy and I woke up with calm and I sat down and I read the prayer book that I bought and I read a little bit of the Bible and I started to cry because I looked at my husband and I'm like, I have finally found it. So be still and know that I am God now has a totally different meaning to me because of the time that I spent there. And if it starts to wear off, I'm going back. <laughs> so thank you so much for the experience because it changed me. There, there's so many misconceptions about this. And let me speak into a few to tail off of what this might mean for you. About a quarter, maybe a third of the monks who are there are priests, people who are in the vocation of the religious life, the religious order, but that means two-thirds or nearly three-quarters are not. They were engineers, medical professionals, lawyers, teachers, people in IT. I know one in particular who was a retired um, Air Force colonel. They're everyday people from all walks of life who came together, were attracted to something, and came to look for, be still, and know that I am God. Early on in the, the week, there was kind of an orientation talk, for lack of a better term, an introductory type of thing. Father Carlos was there from the Philippines, and, and he began to share what should you be doing here this week and what shouldn't you be doing here this week? And it was so deconstructing in all the right ways about what the monastic experience is and what the monastic experience isn't. It's like, you know, if you're coming here looking to get away for a week thinking somehow it's going to change your life, you're looking for the wrong thing. If you're coming here looking to kind of take these things that we do here and say, I'm going to overlay it in my life back there, you're doing the wrong thing. If you're, you're coming here and, and, and you think that you need constant quiet and solitude, these are the most gritty, down-to-earth people you'd ever met. He said, you're looking for the wrong thing. It's about finding what he called a hermitage in your heart. Because the world doesn't slow down just because we want to. And the noise doesn't go away just because we wish it would. And getting away for a time is so important. God knew this and instituted the Sabbath because of it. But what does it mean instead to be able to live in the noise, to live in the busyness, and still find, be still, and know that I am God in the midst of it? I say this honestly, I wish all of you could come. Well, all of you actually can, monks.org, because they got guys in IT and they know how to get a good domain name early on. Check it out and take a retreat. I wish all of you could experience it. Because I feel like so much of what I'm doing is just being a messenger of something that I can only present in a half-baked kind of way. But what they found is a life that was structured around prayer. Here's what it looked like for them. Seven times a day, they would gather to pray. It would start at 3 a.m. You'd hear the church bell ring. Because you didn't need a cell or an alarm clock or anything else. The church bell would ring and some of you to prayer at 3 a.m. You had 15 minutes to get there if you wanted to be a part. Now, who here thinks 3 a.m. sounds like a good idea? 
This is how they begin their day. They would gather for this time called vigils where they would gather in a, in a darkened sanctuary with maybe just some low light or even a couple of candles and they would listen. They would gather in silence as one of the brothers would stand up and start to recite a psalm or two or three and you would sit there in the dark and you would just let it listen and shape you for the day and maybe join in with a couple as it went on as well. 15 minutes, maybe 20, and they would break. They'd have two hours on their own. Some would go back to bed. Some would do their own quiet time or devotional time or personal time or whatever they did with their time in their room. And at 5.45, the bell would call them again. They'd grab some food at 7. 7.30, they would be called by the bell again, and then they'd go to work. They have a philosophy at the monastery. Depend on other people for your livelihood, and they'll tell you how to live. So they always sought from the very beginning to be a self-sustaining, self-sufficient group, pooling their resources, their skills, their common labor, their common vision, and discovered the fullness of what community together can accomplish. They would work from 8 to noon. They have a, a successful internet business. It started as mail order, selling bourbon fudge and bourbon fruitcake and bourbon everything else imaginable because after all, this is Kentucky. <laughs> they have more than they know what to do with. Working four hours today, a day to make money together. They'd gather for lunch, and at 12.30, the bell would call them again, to which they would enter some free time of their own. At 2.30, the bell would call them again. It would call them again at 5.30. It would call them again at 7.30. Every single day. Seven times a day. Day after day. Week after week. Year after year. Until the end. And this is how they pattern their life. And being monks and being driven by radical hospitality, that you treat every stranger and every passerby as though he is Christ himself, they open their doors wide. They say, come. Come and pray with us. Come and sit with us. Come and sing with us. Come and enjoy our land and the fruit of our labor. Fifty monks every week putting up over 30 retreatants, not charging them a dime giving them free lodging and free food. It was pretty good, if you ask me. And all the fudge you can eat. <laughs> because they believe that's how Jesus would call us to act, and so that's how they acted as well. And so for a week, about half the staff and two elders and myself, we got to go and experience this with them and go, what does it mean to just live in this place of being still and know that I am God? What does it mean to immerse yourself in a life of the presence of God and prayer. Now, what's amazing, what these monks will do is over the course of two weeks is pray through the entire Psalter. You know the book of Psalms in the Bible? Longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters by our reckoning. They will pray through all of the Psalms every two weeks because for these monks... Prayer is not just about coming to God on our terms. 
our needs and our wants and our wishes, as important as those might be. Their prayer life is not, God, I want, God, I need, God, would you for me? Their prayer life instead is rooted in this. They take the words of the Psalms and make those prayers, their prayers, those songs, their songs, those ideas and thought their own. They immerse themselves in what God has to say because they believe that God is still speaking and he's got something to say. And it's through the words of these pages that God not only comes to us but speaks to us and begins to transform us as well. There's a couple of lines I'd like to share with you that come out of their two-week rotation. And so every two weeks through the Psalms again, right? Week after week, month after month until the end. Praying them, some of these monks, a hundred, two hundred, a thousand times. Putting the words of God on your lift over the lips over the course of a life. There were some that struck me, some that I'd like to share with you. Here's one. Gathering together to pray, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Gathering together to pray, the Torah of Yahweh is perfect reviving the soul, and I'll tell you, it's odd. Ask any of the staff who went, was it reviving for you? But you sat in silence. But there wasn't TV. You didn't have music or a cell signal. How, what? Ask them. I bet they'll say something like, I don't know. But it was. Because what they lived and what they discovered is your Torah is perfect, Yahweh. It revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making simple the wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant. Does that feel like your experience with the Bible? They are more precious than gold, your word, God. It's more precious than gold, at $1,800 an ounce, if I was to give you this weight in gold, what would you choose? They are sweeter than honey. Your words, God, than honey on the comb. If I was to give you these pages to eat, say, here, you want to lick? Or give you honey, what would you choose? I've read these my whole life. I know these by heart. I could tell them to you in Hebrew. But there's something different about knowing it and knowing it. And to be there for five days with people who knew it, who lived it, who experienced and loved it, and for who these words rang with a different kind of truth. Let me just tell you, it was incredible. It's something I want. Not to go and be a monk, don't hear me wrong. That chastity thing, I got no business with that, but <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Something tells me it's something that a lot of you want to or maybe have once wanted, but the hunger and desire has been safely shelved away because of the noise and busyness of life. It was amazing to see people enter God's story. I was thinking about this while I was there this past August. We've been doing this thing called Five Hills to Die On. These five hills were meant to represent five values, things of such value and important to Jesus that they're worth giving our life for. Things of such value and importance that if they cease to mark us or be our quest as a church, we're better off closing our doors. Five things of such value and importance that we have to be willing to do whatever it takes in God's, God's way to, to make them a part of our life. And, and it kind of struck me being down there that we missed hill number six. An unwritten hill, a classified hill, a hill that isn't often always spoken about with as much. Forgive me, I'm a child of the 80s, so forgive me the metaphor here, but I have like RoboCop in my mind where he gets his three prime directives and the number four, it's classified in brackets, all right? Well, here's our RoboCop number six. Yeah, just like deer in the headlights on that one. You know, it's like the Bible. We can talk about community and we can talk about devotion to God. We can talk about what it means to be real and genuine in our dealings. We can talk about risk and what God calls us to do in steps of faith. We can talk about being missional. But one that is so mundane yet stands so foundational to it all is this. It's the Bible. There's so many ways that we can do church. But here at Fellowship of Faith, we've decided at some level it's got to be coming out of what God has to say, letting it conform who we are. And there's so many ways that we can do life. But at some level, God invites you into this. Because what I hold before you is not just archaic words on dusty pages, it's living. It's breathing. It's through this mundane way that God comes to us and speaks to us and seeks to transform us as his own. A couple of quotes that we talk about here that I'd just like to share with you. Things that I hope reorient this book in a way. Here's one. It comes from Rich Mullins, an old songwriter. He once wrote, the Bible is not a book for the faint of heart. It is a book full of all the greed and glory and violence and tenderness and sex and betrayal that benefits mankind. It is not the collection of pretty little anecdotes mouthed by pious little church mice. I love that line. It does not so much nibble at our shoe as it cuts to the heart and splits the marrow from bone to bone. It does not give us answers fitted to our smaller-minded questions, but truth that goes beyond what we even know to ask. Can I ask you, is that your typical experience when you're in here? 
And this is a church where we want to be real, so it's okay to say no if that's honest. Is that the experience you have when you come to this thing? If not, you're not alone. You're not alone. Here's another one. A former pastor named Rob Bell, he wrote this. We have no desire to tame the text. We want to let it out of its cage and we want to see it prowl around our lives, devouring us and spitting out the bones. The Bible is a revolutionary manifesto that could get you killed in many parts of the world. It is living, it is breathing, and it demands that we surrender to it unconditionally so that it can transform us. The interesting thing about the monks is that when they come to this, they don't seek so much as to how to get God to fit into their story. Instead, they seem more driven by how they can step into God's story instead because God is writing a story. And it isn't finished yet, even though the end is penned. God has been writing a story from the very beginning and he isn't done with it yet. And you know what God does? He comes to you. And he says, would you be in my story? Would you play a role in my story? Because I've got a part for you. And it's one that matters and makes a difference. So often I think we live our lives on our own storyline. Seeking to write our own stories and going, God, how do you fit into where my story is going? But God comes and says, no, I've got a story and it's better. Ask how you fit into the story that I'm writing. And you know what the good news is? You don't have to be a monk to be a part of that story. Ryan, give me that Alistair Begg quote, would you? Alistair Begg once said this. I love this line. like three slides and I'll just flip. All right. God enjoys rewriting stories. He does. Where's your storyline taking you? What plot holes have you found yourselves in? Or conflicts have been set up that you look and go, I don't see the resolution. What stories have, have unfolded in your life that go, these are not leading towards happy endings? Or in recovery from a story that is closed and you don't know what to do in the aftermath. God enjoys rewriting stories. And God wants to rewrite ours. Because let me say it again. God is writing a story. And the script of the story can be found on these pages. And you have a crucial role to 
play. Next week starts our school year here at Fellowship of Faith. We're going to start a school year long journey again through God's story. We've done this in the past. We've done this last year and the year before that and the year before that. We're going to do it this year and next year and every year again until the end. We're going to start God's story again next week. Looking for trajectories and pathways through it. And I want to invite you into this journey with us to discover what story God is writing. Just to discover what God is saying and where he's taking it. And the role that you can play. Because whether you live in what looks like Dracula's castle in Kentucky or right here in McHenry, God has a place for you. So let's engage. Let's go with him on the way. I invite you to rise. In the spirit of be still, I want to invite you into just 60 seconds or so of quietness. That hermitage of the heart. Maybe there's things to say to God. Or maybe it's a time to just be quiet and let God be with you in this place today. Let's pray. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is our refuge. The God of Jacob, our fortress. Come to us in the noise of our heart and mind, O God. And in that place of stillness, may we hear you speak. May we sense your presence. May the distractions fade away. Forgive us when the volume of our life is too high. Forgive us, God.
for all the things that we put in the way. Forgive us, God, when we are more concerned with our own storyline than with yours. You are a God with arms wide open, inviting us into some grand narrative that you're unfolding. Here we are, O oh Lord. Teach us our roles to play. We thank you. We love you. And we pray in your name.